Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. The Team Never Quit podcast is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. If you're ready to tackle homeownership, go check out Navy Federal's mortgage options with zero down payment. You can learn more at NavyFederal.org. I don't consider myself an entrepreneur. I guess technically I am by definition. I'm, yes, I guess I'm technically an author. Yes, I guess I'm technically this. But what I was doing was my friends are all dying by suicide and they're doing it at a pace that I do not find acceptable. How do I help? I don't know. So why don't I start helping myself and then give myself the tools to then go and help others? Never quit. All right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up, to ignite the legend inside of you, and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're going to show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. Podcast. So buckle up, Buttercup. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of Team Never Quit Podcast. As always, thank you, everybody, for listening, watching, viewing, and subscribing. And please give it a thumbs up or a subscribe wherever you get this channel. So before we dive in today's special guest, let's kick it off with our Patreon question of the day, which is, would you rather go back in time to meet your ancestors or go to the future and meet your descendants? Oh, that is such a fantastic question. Yeah. Ancestors. That is a good question. Uh, ancestors. That's so hard for me. Um, I would like to meet my descendants. Also, just to see what the future's like. Yeah. If there is one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like they would piss me off and you couldn't do it. But if you go backwards, then it's like, you know, it's back in time. <laughs> yeah. If it's in the future, True. then I obviously had something to do with exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah, I'm here for that. Yeah, I, you know what I'm about? I knew my great great grandparents. So I feel oh, wow. like, yeah. So up until I was 10 is when they started dying. Um, and then had my great grandparents until my thirties. And then now my grandparents are starting to die, which is so sad. Um, but I feel like I, I know a good part of my ancestry. So I think I'd want to go in the future and have some sort of influence Mm. on future generations. It's a good question. It is. That's a great question. Yeah. I've never been asked that before. (laughs) I like it. Because when you have another thing, when you have a bunch of grandparents or great grandparents online, you can see your you can because yeah. it's only four generations. Right. They say people don't change, the times change, but times change the people, mm-hmm. and people Absolutely. change in the times. Absolutely. So if you can actually get a good idea of certain times in history and how people act just by looking at what today, you can get a kind of. Mm-hmm. And then we have tech, obviously. Yeah, that, see, that's, that's a, a different. That's, that's a different thing altogether. There. But yeah, 
No, I would go way back though. I would go yeah, like, oh, yeah, way back. I want to go way, like way the back. first, and I want to know exactly who what the hell happened. Exactly, I want to know who. <laughs> What'd y'all do uh-huh. to get us right here? Exactly. <laughs> That's right. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I would definitely like if I could just pick anybody's brain and my ancestry. My on both my mom and my dad's side, my ancestors went from France to Canada for just the travel route mm-hmm. down the Mississippi into Louisiana. And they formed in Louisiana in the late 1700s. And they've never left the area. Do they sound like the Acadian French, that real mm-hmm. thick, like, yes. Creole, yeah. they, they, they mix it all together. Yeah. Why do people talk like that? Get they, the rocks out of your mouth. They can't, they, that's what they. Crawfish is <laughs> But they don't. They've never left. My parents were the first of... The town's of, named after them. Yeah. My, yeah. How about that? And, and then they marry each other from the other... That's how you know. That's yeah. how you know. I'm not even... I, I thought that was a myth. I went no. down in there after I married into this clan, and it's oh, real. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear. I'm so, talking deep in there, like too, deep man. Rooted. Deep in there. Oh, re- very rooted. And so I would want to know why they left France. If I was to like go it's back France. and pick, yeah, we could still be in like, France. There's your answer. Yeah. I don't, you're o- you're overthinking yeah. this question. I just want to meet them. I was in Texas, so there you yes. go, right there. There you yeah. go. Your, your paths had to align somehow. Yeah. yeah that's true. Though I remember looking her history there. It's there. Yeah, my right there. history like, is very rooted. Just, this is it. Yeah, that's it. It's uh, is it Tom Segura who makes a joke about uh, about Louisiana? He said they should they should build a wall around those people. <laughs> I don't disagree. That is a different place. That is a different vibe. There's a swamp. I know. That is their wall. If you've never been through there, just think about it when you, because you got to go over a bridge. Right. Before that was there, it's like, how would you even get through that? Well, I mean, you had to be determined to get the hell out of there. Exactly. That was serious. To get to California through. through We're we're keeping you out. Yeah. Oh, well, that's a, yeah, yeah, there you go. That's a great way of looking at it. It's always the other side, right? Because we really like it. We didn't want to go in there. It's like, good. We didn't want you in there anyway. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I love that. I'm very proud of where I'm from. I love it there. For sure. So today we have Kelsey Sharon, who's a combat veteran and artillery gunner in the Canadian military who served in Afghanistan in 2009 with the Canadian, American, and British Armed Forces. She is currently the CEO of Brass and Unity, host of the Brass and Unity podcast and author of Brass and Unity. Welcome to the show, Kelsey. Oh, no. Thank you for having me. Honestly, it's a pleasure. We, we know you're from Canada, but Where, give us a little background. How did this start? How did this start? How did, yeah. you, how did this how did you yeah. come this? Yeah, to this? Um, I grew up in a, a really small town in Ontario on the East Coast. Uh, on the, as people will correct, it's not the East Coast. It kind of is. Mid-East. Uh, I okay, live in, so we live in that kind of area here. Yes. I yeah, know what you're talking about. The outer about. and the inner loop. That's right. That's right, right there in the heart. So I grew up in a really small town. Uh, my, my dad was a long-haul truck driver. Mom stayed at home. And my brother and I were in a ton of different sports. Um, because of where I grew up, I grew up on 17 acres of woods and out in the middle of nowhere. It was very much a really incredible childhood. I had a really, I didn't have to have these cities and all these influences. I could just be outside. I could be doing a lot of different sports. And so ultimately, I got into Taekwondo and I got in at about four. And that's when... Is this because your brothers? No, you, my brother... Anybody in the family do martial no, arts? No, my mom did when she was older, but there uh, so when she was younger, way back, but she didn't do it for... She did karate for a little while, but it wasn't... Was it a movie? No, it was... My mom was at a mall and saw one of those demonstrations. Oh, that's got you. And so the Taekwondo guys can put on a demo. Yes, they. but it's not applicable in real life. 
Okay, we don't have to get into that whole rabbit hole. And I, I'll I, go down I, it. I know you will. I will too, all day long. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite thing to talk about in martial yeah. arts. But let he me tell you, he did karate growing up. The, yeah. The uh, y'all can put on a freaking demo. Man. Yeah. Oh yeah. And like crazy level shit. So we went. Uh, my mom called me from the mall and was like, "Hey, you know, if, when we start something, we finish it. So if you sign up for it, you got to finish what we sign you up for, whether you like it or not. Like this is what it is." So I went and I fell in love. And then cut to four to. 13 and then the 19 and 20, 18, 19 and 20, I, I, that's what, that was my life. So I got to a point where I became a really high level competitive fighter and then a national level fighter by the time I was uh, 12, 13. And then I had my first kind of world blow where you realize the world is not all innocent and that not everything is great. And that's kind of where the innocence uh, died in me a little bit and the the little anger streak that came. And my coach uh, decided he was going to sexually assault my teammate for a couple years. Mm. Um, and she was underage, obviously. And it was a whole thing. He ended up going to jail. And it because that was my coach from the age of four, that affected my trust in the world, my trust in men, my trust in people and all of that. Mm. So my brother got into motocross at that point, And that's when my dad would go with my brother. My mom would go with me and we would do all of our, all of our sports. When I got into high school and along those lines, that's when rugby came in and I got really, really gnarly into rugby. And that's how I tore my eyelid off and got a few concussions and did a bunch of stuff. And it was a really good uh, way to work on aggression without having the tool that I had as a child, which was the outlet was Taekwondo. And then I went, we moved to a even smaller town uh, for my last couple of years of high school. And those were my first two years, not in a Catholic school. So I got to learn what small town hockey team, farm kids, group think looks like. They're different. It's a, it's a vibe, man. That's a vibe. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was a whole experience. So then building that anger a little bit and that frustration and bad breakup and I wanted out. So I went to college as soon as I graduated. So I was 17 and I went to Ottawa. And Ottawa, Ontario is where the capital of Canada is, although it is the smallest, so it makes no sense. Waterways, I get it, but I digress. Location, right? Yeah, location, location, right? Back when the queen was... So we, I went there and I, uh, I joined for a program I had no interest in. and I was never a book individual anyway where studies were something I was hyper-focused. It was always sport my entire life. Mm-hmm. So parents pushed you to college? No, that's just the route. She wanted out of the she town, out. and it was the oh, route right. out. So I took a. They accepted me for like travel and tourism. What even is that? No one knows. Is that a Canada thing? Because the only other Canadian we've had, Trevor, did yeah. the exact same thing. Yeah. yeah. So it must be. I don't know. He did the exact same thing. Sounds awesome. Yeah. He's the most well-rounded dude I know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that, that kind of job will do that too. It will. Exactly. You learn because you're learning about everything. And so I end up uh, going down to a Remembrance Day ceremony. So you guys have Veterans Day on November 11th where you say happy Veterans Day. And then we have Remembrance Day where we wear poppies and everyone is solemn. Or most people who are educated enough are solemn and the rest are ignorant and say, happy, happy Remembrance Day, um, which is fun. So I went down to the ceremony in Ottawa because my whole family, like we always had respect for the military. I didn't grow up with military. I didn't come from the bloodline until I found out when I was writing this, my grandfather, who I didn't meet, unfortunately, my dad's dad, served in World War II. So you do have it in your bloodline. Yeah. Just don't know about it. So... I Do you joined. All, not to just no, to back up for ahead. a second. Do you, have you traced your lineage yet? Yes. How many more military are you find in there? Only a couple. Only a couple. Yeah, because so my dad's side, it's it's heavy Scottish, Irish, super white dudes that were farmers, and then my mom's is Hungarian. Mm. And so my grandfather left Hungary when the Soviets invaded after World War II, when he was run out of the country, and he came to Ontario, and that's where they settled. Yeah, that's my backfield too. Yeah. Farmers and mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it builds an interesting human. 
It definitely. So with the martial arts, yeah. When we're kids and we're going up, there's the discipline in there. Mm -hmm. Focuses and gives us something straight to do. And then there is that time for whatever reason because they teach it as a self defense. Right. And then we get whatever happens to us when we switch that. Like you're you're waiting for it. You're just waiting for it. Waiting for it. Just I was just. I've never run into anybody else who puts that much training to what we did that that doesn't happen to. It's wired in. It's like doing any rifle drills. I get that. I think what what happens is that's a part of us going through phase. Mm -hmm. Like you actually have to step away from part of it to appreciate that first part. Mm -hmm. Because now I have kids. Yeah. And I right now I'm hitting them with the Miyagi, the philosophy. Good. And then I'll make them do some stuff that there's movements in it just so they can protect. Yes. That whole ground game. Yes. But I did step away from it. It's always there, and if I had to use it, yeah, boom, quick. Can always go back to it. You can always go back to it. But yeah. now I, I noticed as I as I get older and the kids, because we're pushing it back down, mm. that 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 comes into play. No Absolutely. matter what style, and it's styles, right? Yes. I was like, hey man, which style do you look good doing? Which yeah. one works with that body? That's right. And then you don't appreciate that when you're younger. It's just like fraternities in college. It's like my style is the best. What do you even exactly that 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 mm-hmm. old thing? Yeah, no, I, I learned the hard way. I learned a long time ago that Taekwondo was not super applicable in real life if I was being grabbed from behind. It just, you know, that's a different level. That's where jujitsu comes in. And that's why we put my son in jujitsu because I want I want him to be able to de-escalate situations. I don't want a striking sport so he doesn't have as many concussions. I don't, you know, I think about long-term repercussions, what he's doing to his brain. So Taekwondo, I was in the WTF, which meant you could you could knock somebody out. We know what that is. Exactly. Yeah, we, yeah. So I don't want him to be concussed six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve times in his life. You know that's where all the martial arts came online. Different body types having yeah. a, in a different scenario. They were like, hey, how do you get out of that? Yeah. And then, 100%. then people started running with it, and then we mm-hmm. got separated by land or whatever reason. Yeah, exactly. And when you finally MMA brought that together. I oh, mean, if you've got man. a kid who can do both and the perfect martial art is just to get out of the way of everything. Exactly. Just avoid. Just avoid, <laughs> just avoid. avoid the situation. And if you can somehow get that into you, I got it now. Yeah. I do it all the time now. Avoid yeah. it. Yes, absolutely. And, and they say that, but man, you can't understand. You're like, no, I'm learning all this cool stuff. I want to use it. Yeah. Like, no, that's not right, real life, though. Real you don't life. need yeah, to. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, 100%. No, I feel you Isn't on that. that. great? Completely. So that's why we put him in. Yeah, that's why he, he's Our doing too. a little bit. Yeah. We started him in the scouts, and uh, in, in our family, if you get that eagle scout and a black belt, you call it black eagle. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yes. That's a qual. I like that. If you get that, That's those two things right there, mm-hmm. you're good. You're good. You I trained no this sucker from the minute I got him and everything, but if you, I know for a fact, and those have been road tested by all types of people mm-hmm. and all types of situations, mm-hmm. and there's a couple of things that we have implemented in, on earth. Yeah. That if you put them in that kid and try to grow a human, you'll yeah. get a good one. Yeah. You just, it's, it's it great fertilizer. It's not, I want to say that growing a human isn't hard. It's not too difficult if you put some damn effort yeah, into it. Exactly. How about that? It's and then not. there's that routine, man. Them suckers want to raise themselves. Routine <laughs> is the key it's to success. Key, man, it is. Oh, I know our kid, like <laughs> clockwork, he'll look at, he'll, he won't even look at his watch and he'll just go, feel tired i think it's bedtime on the dot just without yeah. even asking our little ones do that, do too. that too yeah yeah it's great they've always done they, it Zars around the same age this new generation they're calling them alphas like Good. which i'm i think so too because we were so extreme mm-hmm. and you got that gap in between and then oh, it's the, been a rough gap yeah the, yeah it was a rough one yeah it's a rough but gap that, there that covid thing and then all these young ones man they'll be something yeah, I j- saw a meme yesterday that said if your mom is between 36 and 44 don't mess with her. She was raised by Biggie and Tupac. Yeah, yeah. V- violence will ensue, and they have no issue using Wars, it. Wars, martial arts, freaking yeah. hip hop. Exactly. And serious hip hop back then. Whiskey. Was I mean, good. you name what they threw at us. Exactly. And, it and works. we made it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had to send it to Hunter because I'm 44. I'm like, uh, I did. 
But I sent it to you directly. Like some of the stuff that comes out of our people's mouths and what they put together is so hilarious. I mean, it just, I, I laugh so hard I hurt myself. That's oh good. And you should. So That's how you know you're living a good, fulfilled life. Man. If you're laughing to the point where you hurt. Where you hurt. Mm-hmm. That's my goal. That's why I'm trying to have more comedians on my show because they make me happy. I, I leave happy. talking to them, on a, but it's a different level yeah. of happy. Whatever it is they got in them. Whatever that is, it mm-hmm. tickles, when they say tickle your funny bone, yeah. it does that. And when they know the type of person you are, they'll throw in like dark humor because they know they can get away they can with get it. get away with it. And it just gets you deep. And that's oh. how they communicate. And we were talking about yeah. this earlier. It's like the minute our comedians go bad, we're, we're in trouble. We're, it's over. Yeah. The minute they go dark, they and stay that way, like where they're openly trying to hurt you with uh-huh. it, then that's a problem. Yeah. Well, we need them guys yeah. and gals to keep, I don't care how they come at you, but do it with a damn smile. I know. You know like, <laughs> yeah, I'm fine with it, but you make me laugh and you'll get yeah. me every time. I'll be every okay. time. Oh, okay, forget every it. Every time. Forget it. It's disarming. Uh, uh, yep. Yeah, I hope, I mean, you're right. These last few years, they, they took a, they've been getting hit hard too. Oh yeah. And that's why I appreciate them so much more because you understand how dark, well, and anybody goes through anything in mental health, you can understand how comedy is levity. Boom. And how it heals. I just think it heals. I think it's, it a, it's a form of art. Because I believe in art therapy so much, it is a form of art that not only heals the individual that is doing it and gives them the outlet to speak out of the things that were so heavy on themselves and relieve that and kind of put that burden on others, if you will. But they do it in such a way that it heals the ears that it's healing because that it's hearing it because there is always, you will always relate to someone. You'll find a comedian that you like and you'll like them for a reason and then they'll say something and you'll go, oh my God, I remember that. That was my childhood. You just, comedy heals. Pulls from the inside. mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. you'll always want to watch a fight or a disaster, but you want to hear somebody laugh. Every single time. And I time. mean, if we're in here laughing the whole... It's a, we don't have, have to take any drugs. We right. don't do anything. And I, if we laugh for a few hours, you don't think about anything else. Yeah. And you could even think about bad stuff. Mm-hmm. If you're laughing about it, yes. when you walk out of here, everything, you got a bliss on you like you can't believe. But that's well, that how people cope. shows, mm-hmm. too, like how y'all are in the military. So you, they did something to it. That you're happens. always yeah, happens to us laughing always in laughing. the darkest times. Yeah. I mean... Well, you have to. Otherwise, yeah. you will cry. Yeah. You have to, you have to pick a lane and just right. commit. Yeah. I think what happens to us is, so when you get put in the darkness, everyone's afraid and timid and we don't know what to do, right? Right. But then we get comfortable in there. Yes. So then the real you comes out. It's like Batman. It's and like, you uh, want to talk about human, when you can laugh, when, yeah, the, when the hell's all around you. Yeah. But then when you're, com- when you see somebody who's comfortable in it, man, and they can start being themselves and that uh-huh. joke flies out because they're having to deal with yeah. the chaos. It's just magic. That was my game changer. Like yeah. comedy was a game changer for Same me. Had a lot of good, funny people around me. My husband is... Oh, he's he's not like, oh my God, my husband's funny. He's got like bits and he like gives them to me when we're in the shower. And it is the, he won't, he won't do them. He won't stand up and do them. Oh, though, because some of them are rough, but for me, they're everything. And yeah. he yeah. cracks me up better than anybody else I know. I love it. Anybody else besides Dave Chappelle. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that, man. That was a gift Thank to the earth. Thank you, God, for Dave that, Chappelle. I know, that, that was a gift to the earth. There's a couple of them walking around down here where you're just like, thank you. He's just, thank you for existing in the world. And I guess you're awesome. Like, it's great. So going back to your story, did you um, do anything with the travel and tourism at all? No, God, no. So I... Yeah, military. Yeah, I went right... (laughs) That's the same thing. Yeah, exactly. I went in, um, I went to the ceremony and I met a lady on a bus coming back. And she had an Air Force uniform on. She had come from the ceremony, very elderly looking lady. I was like, oh, this woman's... And I have a tendency, if if I see someone, it could be anywhere, but something in me and right in my little feely spot will go, go talk to them. And I go, okay. 
And I just go over and I talk to people and I got talking to her and something clicked in me. And it was like a, it was like that moment in a movie where you look back and you go, this is the moment where the main character takes the turn and the fork in the road, which one is she going to pick? And I, I, something clicked and I went to the recruiter's office and I, I, I said, I want to join the army and I want to be on the front lines. And they were like, well, honey, you know, we're in an active war and we're deploying every six months. What do you want to do? And I said, well, I'm really fit. Like I'm, I, that I'm, I'm a very fit individual. And I want to do something where I actually feel like I'm affecting something or this isn't worth it. So why don't you just put me in infantry? And so here's the thing about Canada. We can do that. Your women just started in 15. We've been doing. Mm-hmm. We've been running and gunning. If you can get it, if you can do it, they'll let you do it. Then they looked at the height of me and said, how about no? And I went, okay, what about? And they said, how about artillery or armored? And I said, well, tin can, explosives, I don't like being claustrophobic. Big guns, big boom, the hand of God. Yeah, let's give that a run. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. It's tin can explosive, but you on the outside. Yeah, of that yeah, but inside. I want to be like, yeah, I don't want to be inside. Yeah. And so, because I would end up being a driver for sure, because I'm perfect size. So I went artillery and they were dagged red, meaning they needed more individuals because of the rotational deployments. And so I, within, I sent my paperwork in that week. I quit college the next day. What year is this? This is 2007. And then um, by January, uh, I was sworn in before um, 2008. By January 4th, I was in basic training. Uh, I was done, and I went like basic training, SQ, DP1, posted to my regiment that I was deploying with in September of 2008, and then deployed in April of 2009. Now, not all regiments are the same in Canada. I got posted to a French-speaking-only regiment. Mm. I speak English. Yeah. And so I was the... I got posted there, had to learn French, and then I was the only female. Mm-hmm. So I was the the triple seven gunner. So I had to learn how to work with all these dudes, which is fine with me. I have no issue. I was I was always a tomboy. It, like I always make jokes that if I were an, a sixteen year old this day, people would have tried to transition me because my hair was this short. <laughs> no, I'm de- I'm not making like I'm not yeah. even being like facetious. Like my hair was this short. I wore a wife beater a lot and my tearaway pants, and I was at taekwondo every day. So it's like. Uh, where are we going here? And so I was always tomboy and I was always good with that. Um, and so I got lucky because the sergeant at the time was not like a fan of me because he didn't, he figured, well, that's one less person on the gun. She's not gonna be able to load it because the 155 millimeter howitzer has a just under hundred pound round that goes up to 40 kilometers. And so to run those guns, everybody has to be effective at their job. And so I just had to prove myself a lot, which was fine. I have no issue with that. I think if you come in and you look the part, it's a different thing. This dude walks in, they're not going to question whether he's going to chuck around around. It's just going to be fine. And so I I knew going in, there was going to be these standards I had to meet and that's okay. I'm not saying it to complain about, I'm saying I'm good with that. Mm -hmm. And so I hit the standards, did the minimums, like 
And we didn't have two standards at the time where women had a different standard than the men. It was the standard. Mm -hmm. And so because I had fitness background, it helped me a lot succeed in the military. So we ended up deploying in April and we got word that we were going to be the, the Canadian regiment that was going was Alpha, Bravo and Charlie and two guns on each run. Those guys were, uh, Ella, was it Charlie and Bravo were going to Canadian FOBs, but I was going to an American FOB. So I went to FOB Ramrod. Oh, okay. And so we were there. There was there were some 101st guys there, yeah. and we were ripping out a um, reservist artillery unit there. But my guys didn't speak. A lot of them did not speak English. And then the Texas guys didn't like that. And so it was a really interesting dynamic to be a part of. But I would just screw around with them on the on the comms and stuff, and just like speak in French. And like, oh, ma'am, ma'am, you're gonna have to come back again on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yep. it was great. It was. Let me tell you something. Sometimes when a voice would come over that radio, like, where's this coming from again? Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it was, a, it was a great time. I used to tell people I was an English translator. Oh, perfect. I, just, I could only translate English. That's, that's all I get. Different versions yeah, of English. Different versions of it. Well, you got her family down there. That's her, what her, I'm her, talking her, about. Her. Right in the redneck. Exactly. Right here, man. I love it. No, I love that. So, yeah, we, uh, we are Because when you roll in on our fobs, we would have the Texas flag flying. And you guys, not only that, you guys, your accent was so thick. It's that different. sometimes it was hard even for me to I'm, understand. I remember, that's funny because we always ask, like, man. He has know. words that I don't understand still last night. My, I was talking for minutes before you said something. 12, I didn't realize that. <laughs> oh, our 12-year-old and I are looking like, at each other like, what is dad is saying? And what I'm like... I honestly, I have no idea, but he doesn't sound mad, so let him just go with it. Just let him roll. Just tell him the story. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. And then he looks at us as if we're supposed to answer, and I was like, Axe actually said, Dad, we didn't understand you know, Dad, one. Right, so sorry, I started yeah. getting irritated. Why are yeah. you answering me? Yeah, why are you answering me? <laughs> he goes, I can't a damn word you're saying, He goes, we man. don't understand one word that came I'm out like, oh, all right, well, I was talking in cursive. It's all right, man, if you don't, if you don't When talk, you get I, comfortable, the, the, the twang comes out in a real a way. A lot. If I get excited way. or kind of, yeah. Mm -hmm. we, we say he talks in cursive because his flow sometimes just doesn't, the words too, don't it would, end. It did pretty... Oh man, I feel like that would be. Yeah, it helps. It was bad. It that helps would be with the. Thick. Yeah. yeah. That would be real it brings thick. It, like two brings C's. The thickness back. Yeah. yeah. I don't whiskey bring out that. thickness back. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that's that. That's funny, man. But yeah, those guys were great. The That's why I got to work with the Americans. That was. Um, so we got to support. We got to do uh, a lot of shooting support for those guys, which was fun. Um, it's always it's always great to see how things are run. And then I got to, and then on that FOB, there were a couple situations in the book. You can dive into it. We don't need to, I don't want to waste all your day. So there's a couple situations, though, that I was a part of inside the FOB. And then um, because I was seen as the weak link, so Al-Qaeda liked to tag, target the weak the weak one. And so it ended up working out in my favor, not so much in his, which was fine with me. And then uh, I got a call. My sergeant got a call. And he came to me in the tent. He said, hey, you know, Burns, uh, you're going somewhere, huh? And I said, okay, where are we going? Because like, we're bored. Like, let's go outside the FOB. Let's go play a little. I'm, I'm, we're FOBbits here for a hot minute. I mean, we're, we're racking rounds down range. And we know what we're doing here. But How long were your rotations there? Say again? How long was your rotation there? Six months. That's right. Sorry. Yeah. Canadians do about six to nine months, depending on. Um, especially combat arms, they roll this six. This is 08, so they keep you all. 09. 09? Yeah. Yeah. Still six months. Y'all didn't get pushed longer? Mm-mm. Because I remember, in, I think it was in 10 is when they started doing the year. Yeah, the after year. 9, they started cracking because 9 was vicious for the British and the Canadians. We lost. <laughs> and American, 9 and 10. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. When I was with those guys, that's yeah, yeah, the only yeah. time. I wasn't with the that Americans. That was a gnarly time to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was an interesting. 01, 05, and 09 and 10. Yeah. It's funny because when I say that to people, the people who know, they go, oh. 
But the people doing it was like, yeah. Yeah, they go, oh, okay, what were you doing now? And I was like, ah, we're doing this and this. And like, oh, okay. And there's there's a difference because a lot of times, like, there's war. Yeah. Like, if you're over there, you're in combat. They're always shooting at us, and that gets overlooked. Yeah. Because then the guys that are and the girls are everyone's in con- war, but then there's then some of us would have to go in deeper into combat. Yeah, kinda. there's levels to this there's game. Levels. There's people levels. don't understand that. I'm like, yeah, man, that sucker was there at this, especially at that time. Mm-hmm. And I'm real respectful about it. I try to be like, people had to stay at CAF for a reason. You you need every right. single human in the military to That's be right. successful. You hear certain range. fob names too, mm-hmm. like if you oh, yeah. be like, oh, Bastion uh, or like some yeah, of those man. British ones are in Hellman and stuff. And I hear about them, yeah. I'm like, oh, I don't want to go anywhere near that. Uh, they made a documentary about um, Restrepo. Yes, that's right. Because look at Restrepo. You heard those words and you go, They I don't hated go that, but that was the sexiest deal. They hanging it out like, like that. You know what? I mean, I'm that glad was way they did. out there. Yeah. And that that was that was ballsy. Them boys, yeah, the clank. Yeah. All the ones they sent out there, man. There's a couple of fobs in our world that mm-hmm. when you hear those names, you're like, ah, dude. You just know. You just know the feeling. And it's 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 a nasty feeling. So when we were with the Americans, it was nice. We only had to patrol one of our towers. The rest of them, the Ameri- Americans covered. So that was nice. But we had the one. We would do the four-hour shifts there and then on and off the guns. And then we would transition yeah. one week with the Americans to do GD so we could have access to your showers and, then we, and your food. And then we would kind of stick on our little side of the guns. But the call came that I was going to go with the Brits. And so back then, like I said, they had, you know, there was women truck drivers and there was women on doing frontline type positions, but there was not women on combat arms roles. And so at the time, the British needed a, what you guys now call CST, but not, not this type of CST that was like, let's go hang out and like feed you and talk about your village. It was like, I'm going to take you into a room and we're going to hang out. And so I was in charge of the women and kids. And so that would allow us to do full searches rather than the guys going in and say like missing rooms or like they would hide things on women. And that was a beautiful way to hide comms that they weren't supposed to have or a bunch of money that you would give it away. Like, hey, you've been paid by somebody. Let's figure out why. You want to talk about when we got dangerous is Mm. when they integrated us. Yeah. Women and men. It's hard though. And and when they, well, then y'all accept we were in the houses because every time we go in, there'd be women and men. Right. And oh, kid, that's oh, kids, oh, I thought kids. you were talking about women in the, in the military. No, 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 so no, no. I'm talking about with us. Yeah, because they get sketchy real quick. That's right. And they blame stuff on us. Uh-huh. And then it's, there's an actual confidence that comes when we would have the women around because they would go do their deal with the women and kids and that's we right. could deal with ours. And it was like yeah. one, that, that's where we learned this. Our, our, they didn't do this in the other wars. No. Because they will hide things and they will use the women and children. And if you don't have somebody that can properly base off of religion and be respectful, you know, Geneva Convention, this thing, you can't touch them, you can't look at them, you can't go near them. You talked about that for months. Exactly. So I would go in with them. But but what I was told was nothing. So I I got picked up from the FOB and I got dropped off with the Brits. And they said, we're leaving at 0100. Have your stuff prepped. This is what I need you to have. We're on foot for the week. So carry what you need to carry. And we'll do reloads when we can. We're not expecting to need you you and we're not expecting for it to be a fight we're going to do that we're going we're going out but I was never told objective I was never told what I was looking for I was never told I was told it when you once we get off the Chinook follow the bomb dog so you follow the bomb dog that's a black lab in the pitch dark follow that follow that guy and him and you stick with them because you're going to be with them and you're going to be with the medic so we want to keep and I know everyone's like well, why didn't you put a, a light or a chem light on it we mean so it can glow in the dark we did that. Once we don't we do got... that because we don't want to glow. In exactly. The dark. <laughs> exactly. And if you see Benji kicking around with that, you know, it's like, okay, well, you know. So, so anyway, we, I went with them and by, they said, you know, the first, the first day of the operation, they said, we got there in the middle of the night. First day they go, we're going to, we're going to start kicking doors. 
after morning prayer. And so that's when you'll know like high alert, like we're going to start rolling. And what was going to happen is I was going to be passed around. I love how that sounds. I was being passed around to different units. Say it again. Yeah. Yeah. Tossed around to a bunch of men. And so I did. And so I, as soon as they actually kicked the first door in, they called me up right away. And then I got used and like a, bicycle at that point because now it was everywhere they were going the women and kids were staying and it got nasty so we, every time we moved to a different compound there was firefights every like it was just it was not what was expected and the only reason I believe I was able to be successful not only successful but I was able to be a useful additive rather than just somebody that was searching women and kids and actually doing the door kicking and actually assaulting the rooms was because my sergeant Mark LeBlanc at the time had remustered from infantry to artillery. And while we were doing workup, when the other guys were getting days off, we were house clearing. We were doing our weapons training. We were running and gunning. We were making sure that there was no chance in my mind that I didn't know how to clear a room properly. I did not know how to not shoot and move. I made sure that I wasn't a liability. I was an asset. And that was all I wanted to do. Simple. Plenty of practice back then because they knew we were coming. Because we'd wait for the prayers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about that? How, we're nice guys, How, right? Nice guys, because we got to be respectful. They don't wait for shit, I but mean, we're going to wait, wait for, for that. Prayer after breakfast, time for the Americans to and come rolling three, through that door. And three, two, yeah, boom, so, boom, boom. Yeah, that's and that's what thing. they would do. All day. All day. All day. Like clockwork. Like clockwork. So then the situation, we end up having, um, that week end up being um, so bad so that by the end of it, I end up getting uh, pulled and brought to the doctors and they diagnosed me and they started putting me on heavy drugs right away. It was a whole thing. And basically, we don't have to get into it. I've told the stories before. They're in the book. They're graphic and they're aggressive and they're what war is. There is loss. There are IEDs. There are firefights. There are close calls. There are, there are things that happen in war that happen in war. And so we go through that. But I, I, I try to say this in the, in, because this is not a war book. This is not a war story. That is a blip of a moment of my life. Um, and everyone wants to focus on that. And that's okay. And I'm cool with it because I did get to do something not a lot of women did. And I'm proud of oh, that. Oh, yeah. Sure. It's, well, so, it's great. That's because it's it's a great story. It, and it's it's exciting. Thank uh, you. And Well, you're welcome. I and appreciate when you that. stack something, most people will go through their life and have one of your moments to hang on. Yeah. Just just one. Yeah. I'm not... And then, then you have a lot in one yeah. arena. And then you go out and get into another arena and have more. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so... That all happened, and, and ultimately, I, I got sent back. Once, once we were, I finished the operation with the British. I, I did what I needed to do. Like, I, I was their asset, and it worked, and it worked out. Came back with a, a lot, and we had a lot of ramp ceremonies, and a lot of things went on, and then they medicated me, and they sent me back to my FOB. Here's what they didn't do. They didn't tell my superiors I was on drugs. And when I say drugs, I mean 11, and I was 100 pounds. So I was highly over-medicated, running a machine gun and a 777. So stuff started to happen, and... I almost pulled the trigger on somebody outside the FOB who was a little girl that was normally there. When I was seeing her waving, it wasn't waving though. And so I caught myself in that moment and I ran to the comms tent and I said, something's wrong. Because I went from talking a lot to not saying a word. Mm-hmm. And for them, they're like, okay, this is a, we got an issue here. Yeah. And then I just stopped sleeping. What do they have you on? Oh, I would have to look at the list, but I actually just recently saw it when I was doing my TBI paperwork, but it's a uh, antipsychotics, antidepressants, sleep medication, uppers, downers, you name it. It was, it was just, we need to get her to sleep. 
We need to make sure that she's not having outbursts. We need to make sure that she's not falling apart. It was those types of drugs. So it was a yeah. it was a flat line of a numbing that I'll would tell you happen. What man, they made our generation into. And I was like, I'm not a resident expert, but I'm good enough to know if someone doesn't know what in the hell they're talking about. Mm. And when it comes to drugs, oh, we are dialed. Our generation can not only tell you what what does what it what it'll do to some type of person, yeah. how it does, if they're doing and where they're at in the routine, and the long term damage. So that's cost. what I was talking about. PTSD is pharmaceutical training standby for Ooh. dosage. Be, because went. all of us went through it. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. That shit is brilliant. It came to me in a moment. I, when like, I that. like that. I'm here for that one. It's I'm all gonna, yours. I'm using it's that all you. now. It's all that's you. great. It's all you. But that's true. It's we true, were right? vending machines yeah, for the government. I can tell you what that stuff, if we had to be t trial and error, trial education, test mm -hmm. and evaluation, which mm -hmm. basically we sign up for, mm -hmm. I get that. Yeah, we were so getting now you know what some of that stuff does, especially because we've been doing it for years. Yeah. And that's and why I'm not on any of it anymore. Yeah, nothing. I won't even take an aspirin. No, that's a rarity if you have to take a pain pill. And you got to be like... And I'm thinking about it too. I'm like, man, yeah. oh, that sucker. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same way. Because we had to... But we had to become the educated group of that. So after all that happened, I went on my HLTA, which is our break that we get. And it was... What do they it, call it? Uh, HLTA. Gotcha. And it stands for something. But we went and uh, I met my mom somewhere uh, in the Dominican because you can fly your next kin. And um, we spent three weeks together and that was the worst weeks of my life and outside of the actual operation because my mom saw my mom saw the side of me that she didn't recognize right she saw the what her you know what war looks like uh with a child and she didn't know how to deal with it and i was 19. so it was a i came back to afghanistan and it just got nasty in the in calf. I would start popping off on superiors if I didn't have, because if I didn't have any rounds in my magazine and you're walking around a calf, you'll get ripped for it. Well, I didn't have any left because I used everything I was given and I was never given anymore. My braid was too high. They would reap me for that. So I started just warrant officers, just telling them where to go. And so they were like, okay, this is, you can see there's a reaction and nobody knew how to deal with mental health at the time. Nobody understood that the reactions I were giving were disproportionate for a reason and not intentional, but because my frontal lobe had shut down and I didn't have an executive function control. I couldn't stop myself because I was not functioning. So they sent me back three weeks early to my old unit. No one was there. They gave me a piece of paper, said, drive to Ottawa, you're out, peace, see you later. Never saw my guys again, never was contacted again. Military didn't call for six months. And that's when things got really dark and that got really bad. And that's when the suicidal ideations. And then I was medically released in 2011 um, with a 3B med release, told I would never work again. And then at that point, who's now my husband, I was with um, my boyfriend at that time and I moved out there. And that's when I got new doctors and a new team. And I'm with the same psych that I got then. And he served in Bosnia and Rwanda. And he was one of the first doctors in Canada to do research on PTSD veterans. And he is a veteran. So he served, he understands me. He's like, uh, he looks like he's from Texas. He beats my ass when I need it. And he has corrected me and course corrected me. And at that, to that point where it got to up to 2020 again, where I was getting worse and we didn't know why. I had gotten off of a lot of the stuff. I had a successful company. We had done all the markers. We were on Ellen. We had Kevin Hart. We had Julian Huff. We had Michael Bublé. We, I should have been 
fine. I had a child, a healthy marriage. I had everything I needed, but I was getting worse. You know what that is, right? Mm. That's, a, that's a wartime attitude. Mm. And a civilian world trying to raise, do all that. Look what you said. I know. What you've accomplished. That most people never even think about doing that. Mm. But since you did it with a war mentality, a warfighter mentality, you don't appreciate You can't celebrate it. I just did it as art therapy to just get my life together. Just as a freaking thing to do, as a yeah. mission. That's exactly what that is. And I uh, came up with this one the other day, too. So when we come in, like when we, come, when we check on board and you start a war, it's like walking into the gym. Mm -hmm. And you don't get out of the gym until we get out. Right. And then the soreness comes in. Mm -hmm. Because every time we go through something horrible, normally there's a break. And most right. people don't experience something horrible once or twice. Mm -hmm. So we always have them. Mm -hmm. But then there's no downside for us. I always just stack one more thing on top of it. Right. So it's like plate after plate after plate. So uh -huh. then when we get out and we're by ourselves, uh -huh. that was another horrible thing. That, that was another isolation therapy. So you yeah, got to look, look at everything that we went through as they were doing something to us. Yeah. Not like it was happening to us. us. Or, or not like it was happening to us. Like, hey, this is just like, uh, like all the specialized training we have. Mm -hmm. I, I, I switched it in my head like that. I was like, okay, you want to run that stuff to me and see what it turns me into? Fine. I'll show you what it turned me I'll into. Show, yeah. And then you just keep going. Then the next one, there's always somebody ahead of you and behind you. Absolutely. All right, check. Yeah. And that's why they put us out one on one. So mm -hmm. when we reconnect, I'm like, hey, sister, I got you, man. Yeah. I, I know exactly where you're coming yeah. from and where you're coming up. It's so. hard because I talk to a lot of people. I do a lot of podcasts. But if I'm not in a military podcast and I'm having these conversations, they're like, great entrepreneurship, great business mindset, great blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, you don't get it. I'm not... I don't consider myself an entrepreneur. I guess technically I am by definition. I'm, yes, I guess I'm technically an author. Yes, I guess I'm technically this. But what I was doing was my friends are all committing, dying, die, sorry, that's the nude, dying by suicide. And they're doing it at a pace that I do not find acceptable. How do I help? I don't know. So why don't I start helping myself and then give myself the tools to then go and help others? Yeah. And that is what it is. It's never like I was setting out to do this and this and I had goals and aspirations. It was, I want to survive. I want to live. I want to yeah. be on on this earth and want to actually be on this earth. Yeah, yeah. your survival turned into a business, but yeah, it was exactly it was it. really your own survival. Well, then, well, you know, when we get healthy is when we look, just like you said, like that. You get if dangerous. If I get one, one more, my freaking guys take their life, I'm going to lose it. And that's how I feel. And I, Well, and that's what happens to you. It's like, I don't worry about anything about myself. I don't have problems nope. at all. Nope. Because my freaking guys. And, it, and when you turn around and our teammates, and same with you. Mm-hmm. Like, we're, we're connected by that uniform mm -hmm. and all those freaking wars they stuck us in. Mm -hmm. And then when you get a crew that's had to go through that, and then we have to suffer like this, then it's like, that, you know, that that's just made us stronger. That's a different level. The, you've, what you do when, and I don't think the government realized that, because Veterans Affairs- They got no idea. They fucked up. Sorry. Veterans Affairs in Canada and the United States are, are almost the exact same, right? We love to just neglect, neglect, neglect. In Canada, we offer medical assistance in dying instead of treatment. I mean, they've stopped now because they got caught. But my point is, what they did is they made a bunch of veterans from GWAT go, we're going to test all this stuff on you. We're going to test you in war. We're going to test you at home. 100%. Just but all you did was make us incredibly dangerous, pissed off individuals. Yeah. That's Dude, GWAT stands for God's Warriors of Terror. And you can't mm -hmm. put it, whatever war you send your kids into is going to mold them. Oh. So you sent us to terror. Mm -hmm. we, our enemy had no face, mm -hmm. no uniforms, mm -hmm. man, women, children, 20 years, two different environments, mountain and city, and mm -hmm. everything in between. Mm -hmm. And then you just kept putting us back in there. Uh -huh. And then once people got out, it doesn't matter, you're not out. You're, you're, you're connected never. to your people who are still in there. So then you not only can you not do anything about it, you got to listen to it. 
Mm-hmm. And then the, all the drugs and everything else, you can't, they don't know what they created with the GWATs. They don't. And here's the other thing too I noticed. Like for me when I was in, because I was so lang- uh, low, ro- I was so, I ranked so low, like where I was when I got in. Because I only did four years, right? Because they med released me. It wasn't my choice. That was my career. I wanted to be career. I was slated for another tour the following year. I was ready for this life and I was happy with this life. Mm-hmm. That's what my mission set was but when they medically released me and did all of that I even when I was in I wasn't super hyper connected right because I was with a French unit didn't speak a lot of French at the time but dear god I started this business and I stepped into the civilian world and I started educating civilians on what goes on in the military transition in the veteran community and then COVID happened and then I said you know what I'm tired of educating ungrateful individuals who do not give a flying fuck about what happens to us whether we are homeless whether we are drugged out of our mind whether there's an alcohol situation happening whether it's 22 or 44. Mm-hmm. You, some people will care you're right they will there are subset and I love those humans because they are they don't know it but they make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Some civilians that, that show up for others who actually express that, hey, this is a big deal. You guys should care more about this. I appreciate those. Like Neil, he's one of those guys. But once people in America and Canada started to take notice in the military world about what I was doing with my company and how loud I had been and how, or what some people like to say, you're too loud, you're too obnoxious, and you swear too much. Okay, so what's David Goggins then? Yeah. A male version. So that's okay. So mm-hmm. I go out, I make all this noise, and I start screaming about people that are killing themselves at a pace that is just so beyond unacceptable. That's when people started to take notice. That's when people in the community started to reach out. And now I'm a hub, and I said this to you, I'm a hub for people because I've been screaming about suicide prevention since 2016. And I'm, I'm glad with that, but it's a heavy, it's heavy. And I'm okay with that because I now know how to deal with the weight of it. But it shouldn't be at the pace that it is. It is not needed. It is not the answer. It's not acceptable. And the fact that everyone around us goes, you know, it's cool. Let's keep just drinking a whole bunch of alcohol and let's not address the problems and have the hard conversations with our friends because we're afraid of, you know, being embarrassed or we're afraid of admitting something's wrong. I do not agree with it. I do not accept it. It is not okay in my world. And so I call people out on it and I say, hey, that's a depressant. What are you doing? Why aren't we trying fitness? Why aren't we trying nutrition? Why aren't we trying outside and grounding and, and looking at religion? Because we understand, you know, organized religion, as that goes down, you're seeing a subset of people that feel lost because they're not connected to anything. So that's when I found psychedelics because I was a born Catholic. So I did, you know, I did the whole communion and baptized, da, 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 but I was never connected because it was forced down my throat in a way. I did Catholic school and all, you know, the whole thing. So I never felt connected to anything. So I never had that, that greater feeling. I went, and this is because of a ranger. I know you, I'm so sorry. I had to say it. Hey, they I don't saved my life. Crush- I talk smack. I, I, know. My, I got a dog named Ranger. I know <laughs> you do. So I feel like on some level it's okay to say. Yeah, no, it is. They, they know it. They, they all know I it. Know. I know. So I, I started my podcast um, in 2021, in October, 2021. Yeah, because no, sorry, 2020, because it's almost, it'll be three years this year. And um, my husband said to me, like, you know, you need, you should get some sponsors, right? And then he goes, what about that company we saw on Shark Tank that puts bullet casings into flip flops? Like, why don't you reach out to them? You know, because I own the, I have the patent on jewelry for bullet casings Mm -hmm. and in sunglasses, and then they've got like flip flops. So he's like, so I reach out and Matthew Griffin hits me back immediately. He's like, yeah, we go together like peanut butter and jelly. And I was like, let's go. And then, you know he said? yeah, he That's did best email ever. I still have it. <laughs> That's pretty good. I know. He's, he's quick like that. Yeah, that's good. And so I, my husband goes, well, you know, if you want to actually make this show successful, you better get ballsy and start asking people to be on it. 
And I was like, God damn. So then I was like, you want to come on the show? And then like 20 seconds later, honest to God, I'd love to. And I was like, oh my God, huh, huh. Because I never dealt with special operators. And I always saw those individuals as people I aspired to be like, meaning an asset, never a liability, always shows up, always makes sure people, never one's, no one's ever left behind. I value those individuals and their character mm-hmm. and their integrity. So that's who I em- you know, emulate. You want to be like the best, hang out with the best kind mm-hmm. of deal, right? And so he came on the show. At the end of the show, it was a virtual one. He leaned in and he does this. If you guys know Matthew Griffin from Combat Flip Flops, he does this. He looks into your soul. So he looked into the camera and he goes, you good? And then I go, yeah, everything's great, right? He goes in again, are you good? And I would just, it's something just buckled. Mm. And we got talking, he goes, listen, there's this organization called the Heroic Hearts Project and there's a ceremony in 30 days. Mm-hmm. And I go, but I'm on an SSRI. And he goes, well, you can't be. And I went, Roger, okay. I know what needs to happen now. Called my doctor and I said, I'm getting off of this. And he goes, you've been on that for a decade. And I said, no, I'm not calling to like ask permission here. I'm, I'm getting off of this. I'm going to do this. I'm giving you a heads up. So if we call you something goes sideways in the next four weeks, you know why. And he goes like, all right, cool. And so... I got, on, I got online with Jesse from Heroic Hearts and I went down and I did my first set of ayahuasca ceremonies and it was the first time, and this is a big deal and I'll tell you why. When I left the Canadian Army, I was left. No one called, no one knew where I was, no one cared. Mm-hmm. And I felt that and I knew that. And when I came down to where we went, I walked into a room and there was a, Blackwater guy and a seal and a ranger and a ranger and a Marsoc dude and all of these dudes. And I sat down and I didn't say a word and I was the only woman, shocker. And they all came over and hugged me. They said, welcome in, sister. Hmm. And I felt like I had a community again. And that was a big deal for me. And ever since then, those are my tribe. Those are my pack. Those are my boys. They show up for me. When my husband collapsed, they showed up for me. These guys, Griff and all of these people, they show up for me. And to not only have it from such high-level individuals who take character and integrity as everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and ever since then, I've never been on a pharmaceutical drug. Ever since then... I've worked so deeply woven into this community with these organizations and getting everyone help. If you have access to me, I will make the call for you. And everybody knows that. I will drop what I'm doing. Half the time my husband goes, what do you do all day? You're on the phone every second of the day I see you if you're not podcasting. I said, I'm making calls because this guy needed this and this guy needed this and this guy's wife just left and this guy's wife just died and, and now he just died and now his kids need this. And so I will put myself last. Because the one thing I was taught in ayahuasca is I was given an animal, a way for me to connect to something deeper. And that animal stands for leadership. And that animal eats less. And that animal is always at the back of the pack and makes sure no one is left behind. And it's the wolf. And that is me. And that's how I feel for my community. I will fight for my community. And I was taught that you don't have to fight every battle. You don't have to bite anymore. You can just sit back because you have a tribe. You have a pack of people. You're not in this alone anymore. And so these guys I've sat with now, I sit with ayahuasca on a pretty regular basis and I use the medicine to connect and heal. And now I'm finally at a point where I feel good and I feel great. And then I did brain treatment. 
and I'm like, I'm on some new shit. And when I say I got dangerous, it's, it's a scary level to feel this good. Mm-hmm. It's scary. And so now I give everything I have to this community through my business, through my podcast, through my book, through anything I do, my charities I work with, I show up. I don't care what you need. You just need to ask. And that comes down to the, you just need to ask for help conversation that I don't care if you're a six foot five, 300 pound bad dude. If you're struggling, you need to ask for it. If you have stars, parallel bars, or chevron scars, I mean, we found a freaking out. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we all did the decade worth of stuff. I yeah. mean, not, that, I, names you can't even pronounce. Oh yeah, side effects that were. Oh yeah, cool. long term too. <laughs> Which is awesome, right? What'd you turn me into? Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, but yeah, there there absolutely is a way out. There's a hundred percent a way out. But what was wild for me, and I don't know, maybe this is. Fuck it, I ask personal questions. How'd you feel when Afghan pull off, pull out, went up? It's like the rest of us. Yeah. What are mm. you talking about? We all yeah. fight. Yeah. 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 I asked the fighters know like, exactly what that was. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we don't say anything. I mean, you. Know, I mean, you can feel it right now. What, yeah. what are you even talking about? No, the reason I say <laughs> yeah, is because I've yeah, asked a couple dang, of people, dude. and it's been an interesting response. But the reason I bring it up is because, in when that happened, even though I wasn't in anymore. Because of the community that I just built around me, that's how I got involved in the pullout. And I got pulled back to that. But what it gave me the opportunity was, was Griff called again. All of our guys went back in. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Your guys went back in and I I couldn't go. Canada blacked out on that. We didn't help any of the Canadians we left there at all. So Griff called and he said, I got a pack of nine. I got the VIP. She's the head of the women's rights for the Afghan government. And her family's on the list. There are nine pack of Canadians. I can't get them. You're going to have to pull them. So because of the community I'd created around me and the people that we've helped, we used Instagram and Signal. And then the Americans on the ground, by the time I annoyed enough people, I got to the top with a few people. And I had a bunch of guys, a guy named Austin, who was an ex, I believe, ranger, former ranger and he was doing some co- contracting stuff yeah. and they went and Our did guys some just nasty for fun. yeah they just 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 to do it because it needed to be done like exactly. all that air america all them tv shows we uh-huh. had as kids you know the movies yeah. about guys sneaking in there and we're doing that yeah and it was the best feeling and what i got from that was i got to go close a chapter i got to go help some people and close a chapter in my life that i didn't get to close because of how i left afghanistan so i ended the book on that because that was a it felt like a full circle healing moment for me where I did not have to regret the way I left that country. Mm-hmm. I didn't leave anybody behind. Well, here's the deal. is We're mm. not designed like the other conventions. We're, we're GY. It means we go in there for a fight, right. like a daily, an individual, boom, 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 the big, mm-hmm. big over thing. When people talk about all the equipment, guns, all the armament, everything that we left there, 
That upsets people a lot. I started telling people, hey, look, we left it there, so if we need it, we don't have to fly we it over We don't have to steal it. It's just we're it's saving right on there. shipping. We're saving they're, they're on shipping. Keep the, yeah, tires are going to move the tires for us. That's right. Don't worry about we're it. We're going to rotate it. Y'all, people underestimate what we can do. But <laughs> historically, that's what every war has done. Yeah. They leave it. If we went, we were able to go back to Peleliu in World War II when they fought in the Pacific, mm-hmm. the Battle of Peleliu. We, I mean, it is out in the middle of fucking nowhere. Mm-hmm. And we went out there. There are still all the tanks. Yeah. American tanks. All the anti-aircraft Samurai guns. sword leaning against a tree. AKs, literally all of the weapons can- of 30 war. 30 cannons. And all, all, are, that would be the jungle wild. If y'all I gotta go there. You know, yeah, crew, yeah. The jungle just grew over it. Yeah. yeah. It and just, yeah, and you can just go there and see it. There's nothing protecting it. There's nobody like standing Nothing. guard saying that's don't like get the World War II stuff in a lot of places in France and stuff. We did. Um, my husband and I did the 75th anniversary of D-Day. Oh, cool! We rode. Uh, hey, good for you for doing that. Yeah, well, man. we that's flew nice over and we did. Well, did a charity event. We rode 600 kilometers on that's road bikes away. and raised money. So we landed on Juno Beach, but we got to go see all the guns and where every where all the Germans were, all the Canadians were, and they're still. There's still cannons there. There's still guns yeah. there. There's still For people artillery. who don't understand, we're talking about driving through America and seeing old rusty cars. And exactly. It's, it's like, wild. But it's it's military hardware. <laughs> it's, yeah. It shocks the system yeah. a bit because you go, I mean, with the rounds. With the, with the rounds. rounds. <laughs> it's just all rusted. Rust and it's it like the earth just is just up, yeah. sucking it but back. But that's what we've all that's what America has always yeah. done is leave its equipment. Yeah. So, yes, it is very disheartening. How- so we can make new one. How oh, we know why. Yeah. You got to have a reason, but you got to have yeah. a reason to keep the train going, keep don't people, we? That's right. Keeps people jobs. Send it to make something new. Come up with new. Canada's got no them. guns right now. Yeah. We have nothing. We sent it all to Ukraine. All the triple sevens are gone. We got nothing. So we got to make new ones. Yeah. We order them from you guys. <laughs> We're talking about good. that the other day because the satellites. I mean, like we have the ability to go into the room and right. three dimensional. Oh now, yeah. So you know, everyone else does. Of course. So, any war that we're going to go down right now, they're going to know where we're at at all times. They're that's know, everyone, that's you know, so, yeah. It's just it's, it's not even it's pointless. It just is a feel to yeah, it, man. It there's, even, a, oh. there's no sneaking around anymore. It's not like it's, it was. Yeah, I know. You know what's really funny is I I always thought it would be when I was like 90, 90 years old because I never planned on writing a book. Like that wasn't like the aspirations. And I always make joke about Navy SEALs. I always say like. It, you know, your book's written by buds. I'm joking. Chill out. No, I, but I always, I always make little jokes because I, I comes from a place of love, but I never planned on that. And I don't think anybody really does plan on doing it. But I always pictured, because my husband jokes, he's like, you're going to be the 90-year-old in a rocking chair, sitting with a bunch of your friends. Wasn't like that in our day. That's he's like, point. but I do that now, though. Yeah. He's like, you're 33. I got a rocking chair out there as well. That's the point. I know. He's like, you're 33. I thought we had some decades on this before we were going to hear all this. Oh, my gosh. So nope. it's, uh, yeah, it's been a trip, and it's been a wild, you know, wild spot. But I'm, to be honest with you, I'm just, I'm just getting my legs under me. I'm just getting my wheels started. And I'm just, I'm just at a point now where I feel good enough to start taking on everything I've always wanted to take on and, and set those goals. Oh, well, we say it like this. So joining the military and then going through the wars yeah. was just the initiation to get mm-hmm. to this. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not in the club yet back th- when you're in, in no. the uniform. You get it when you get out. Yeah, exactly. That's the rite of passage. Uh-huh. It's just like college and university. Right. We had the extended tours and yes. we, you know, we were the hands-on kids and uh-huh. all that. That's how it worked for us. We're the hands-on kids. The hands-on kids. They would send us out to the field and back to Babylon. That's right. That's right. So now that you're out, now you graduated. Right. So you got to recover from it. Yeah. And then now we go. Yeah, and you got to be like, listen, I had so many people help me. So you have to now, it's your responsibility to take the hands of at least five other people and go, this is how we do this. Yeah. Because 
No one did it for me for a decade. And I was very lucky when it happened because I don't know that I would still be here. And I can say that in all confidence and not to boast, but that's the reality. And I don't think people fully grasp that. And so when you have been given, it's, you have to, you ha it's your duty now to give. You just have to keep giving. And that's how things change. And you have to be loud about it. And I'm okay with being loud about it. People don't like that, especially I found in certain areas of America that is not as welcomed, you know, the loud woman conversation. I don't give a shit. I don't care if I make you uncomfortable. Good. If I made you uncomfortable, I made you uncomfortable for a reason. I made you look inward and see something you didn't like to see. Okay, well, if it's in there, then let's address it. Don't, don't blame the voice. Right. Right? Look inward. What is it that irritated you? You know what it is? My light irritates a lot of people. Mm -hmm. You want light like that? Then let's get healed. And we can do this shit together. You don't have to do it alone. Yeah. That's the difference. So, yeah, that's where we're at now. So, how did you find your... the? Um, therapist that you did end up liking? I didn't find him. I got cured. So this is that situation where you hear about the people who are like, oh, I got a good case manager, but 99% of the people got shit bags. Yeah. I got handed to Dr. Passy because I moved to British Columbia where with my husband lived mm -hmm. and he it was at the operational stress injury clinic. And I, I fell into his hand and in his care. And it's like, I don't know whether he saw like a daughter in me or he just saw that I, I wanted to feel better, but I just didn't know how. Mm -hmm. And once he, he figured out my language, meaning like, how do I teach her? Cause I'm not the person where you can say like, this is, uh, you know, tell me, tell me about how hard it was. Let's do exposure therapy. That doesn't work for me. Tell me what's going on with my neurons. Tell me why my frontal lobe isn't working. Tell me how we get it going again. Tell me the tools and I'll go do it. Mm -hmm. But you have to talk to me a certain way to educate me enough to then go, okay, that's why that feels that way. Okay, so if I do this, yeah, like I, that's how I work. And so once he found my language. You can see it. It's almost as if, um, like some people try to, to, to have it. And yeah. Some of us, like just by war and by design, it's almost like every time you go out, it puts a piece of armor on you. Mm -hmm. So imagine most everybody walking around looking like a RoboCop armor. They don't mm -hmm. even know they have it on. Mm -hmm. you, you don't even know you're wearing it. Right. Right. That's the problem. But then there's people who, who had to go through the same thing. They can see it. And they're like, okay, yes. And then, uh, but then, because you don't, if you're not knowing, you don't act, you're not acting the, it, it crosses itself. And you can, you can see, see it, it plain as day. I can day, see it right? from you a mile away. I can see it the yeah, way yeah. you stand. I can see it the yeah, way yeah. you move. And I can see it in your eyes. Yeah, that'll People, thing. and that makes others uncomfortable because yeah. they, when they're talking to me, they realize I can see it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's the way I've been since I've been itty bitty. Mm -hmm. Right. And then once I started using plant medicine, and I started really going inward and I started doing the work and I really started to listen and to really hear. And I was like, oh, this is about to piss some people off mm -hmm. because I don't mean to do it, but I can see it in people and I can't not address it. Like I just, I can't, yeah, yeah. I, can't I have to, mm -hmm. because if somebody walks by and I know that they were struggling and I could see it and I'm like, oh, and they walk away. If something ever happened or they did something, I would be very disappointed in myself for not just having the balls to be like, dude, what is going on with you? Mm -hmm. And how do we fix this? Right. What did, have you told him? Do you still talk to him? Oh, yeah. Like, I, I, we text. Like, I see I talk to him every week, so I still do treatment every week. What is his thought on plant medicine? So, so he comes from the old school world of like mm -hmm. where, you know, you know, drunk or bad. Um, but, He's also a very brilliant individual and he goes, 
these pharmaceuticals are killing people. Mm -hmm. These pharmaceuticals are wreaking havoc long-term on men and women. They are causing problems. They are not fixing problems. They are numbing you. They are not healing you. Mm -hmm. When I, I was his first, besides cannabis, because he, he was the person to get cannabis passed for veterans to have access in Canada. So I can order cannabis on a website and it comes via FedEx and my tax dollars pay for it. And I get X amount oh my gosh. and I get X amount a month. And so that's how that works. So he knows how that works. Now, I was his first patient to bring up some psychedelics. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, look, like, I don't need you to, I don't need you to believe in it. I don't need you to do anything with it. I just need you to trust that this is where I'm at. And I'm, I just need your support. Mm-hmm. He started crying on the phone. Mm-hmm. And I said, I hope that you feel even 1% of the peace I feel right now with what you went through in Bosnia and Rwanda because he was there doing the genocide as a medic. Mm -hmm. So I said, I want that for you so desperately because now I see the hurt in him, but I know he's gotten to a point where he's good, but I also see the deep-rooted things in him. Yeah. And once that happened, he started to become educated on psilocybin. He spoke on a panel, on a psilocybin panel with me, advocating for microdosing as a form of antidepressant property and macrodosing um, for trauma. And then once, you know, people started to, you started to see Johns Hopkins and you started to see Harvard and you started to see all these, sta- these amazing studies and research. It's undeniable in terms of a healing. And then I was asked to be a patient zero for a clinical trial in Canada now for a macrodose level for psilocybin to get veterans access. So if this trial goes well with me, then all other Canadian veterans are going to have access um, and to be paid for the same way to go through treatment that Heroic Hearts Projects do and that Vet Solutions does and that these other, you know, CXC and all these organizations do to get our vets help because we know it takes from within the community to heal the community. No one else is going to do it for us. Right. And we've seen that. Oh, we started. Yeah, we've, we're advocates, are asked because we are advocates for plant medicine. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that I'm trying to do from the inside out is going to those kind of old school therapists and the good guys. I mean, mm-hmm. not, not the yeah whatever. I mean, there's like... The open-minded yeah, individuals the, who just want to see people heal. Yeah, that are really interested in yes. end result and yeah. in just getting their take on it. That's why I asked what he thought because um, that's who we have to, I think, reach first. Mm-hmm. And then on another level, we have to reach the evangelical world because we do have this huge uh, – it's the soundbite of psychedelic. It yeah. scares us. The word scares us. But what happens when look at look at everything else we've been fearful of and what we do when we are fearful of it instead of just trying to understand it. Right. Well, so I'm on your side on this. hundred percent. I in I am a very faith based person. Mm-hmm. Um, I do. Uh, I am a devout Catholic, mm-hmm. but I also believe in plant. Pl- plant medicine and I wholeheartedly advocate for it because I know that it's connected. Isn't it? It's what God created. It's what what God, it shows us what God intended for us to be. Mm -hmm. And I'm in this. Yeah, you can't. Right. It's not abusable. I mean, it's a freaking. I mean, that's really. what psychedelics are great, and people <laughs> yeah. don't understand that. Like that's um. So I just finished. Not that you can't. You don't want to well, either. Exactly. And so I just finished my integration coaching program. So I'm going to be working with psychedelic and integration and veterans before they do programs now, which is I'm I'm so grateful for that because 
there's right ways to do this mm -hmm. and there's wrong ways to do this. Yes. When the best way I, I've come down to explain it in one word is balance. A hundred percent. I I have such a great time and I laugh openly. So mm -hmm. I don't want to put anything in front of that. Right. Right. Like people like I drink or I want. I was like, man, I wouldn't no. ever put anything in front of no. how happy I, I I I'm truly happy and balanced I am. Yes, because there is a. Are you talking about psilocybin in particular? When. All the from all, up the, all I, 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 yeah. I had to deal with the mask. I began, yeah. Well, I did straight up. So, so you understand though that a lot of these psychedelics are plant medicines, and when there's a plant medicine, there is a energy that's to it, right? And so, when you mess with this stuff, this stuff is serious. This is not to be trifled with. This is not for fun for partying. This is for work and healing, mm -hmm. and you have to have that level of respect for the medicine. Man, those are just. That's just. I the agree. Truth. But that's the best way we can I, describe it. Those are just words. I because compare it. When you grab that when it gets a hold of you, you don't even. Oh yeah, no. I compare <laughs> it to because people, you know, should it ever be legalized as a free thing? No, it should be controlled because it is dangerous, and you have to have intention going in with it. Correct. And it does need to be a controlled environment. And I, I kind of link it with. If you need to go have surgery and you need to be put under anesthesia, right. you're not going to go buy anesthesia off the street and do it. No, you're not. You're not. You're going to go into a professional. Correct. You're going to do it for the right reasons. Right. You're not going to go in there drunk. You're not going to go and in you're there. You're going to prep before. You're going and to have blood work before. Right. You're going to do the right things there's, before. There's a whole protocol that yes. goes into going under. You get you score it. You go to your house. And right. Yeah. Just, and so it's not the same. It's not what we were taught as drugs. I would never be okay with recreational drugs. This is not a drug. That's right. This is actual medicine that is curing alcoholism, it teaches you drug the addiction, between a medicine and a drug. And Quickly. it's healing trauma. And it's not just, yes, our veterans are our guinea pigs for this because they always are. Um, but it, and it's working. Mm -hmm. But this can help everybody and this can does. help it does help everybody it helps yeah, not it can it, it if you does. were raped as a child yep. if you childhood trauma were in is a, one of the biggest ones and it also which um a lot of people don't believe in this but as a, a devout catholic i do believe in this is generational that's pain. not even that's not even a catholic yeah. thing generational trauma goes way back if you look at plant medicines and you look at tribal think and you look at indigenous and you look at native american there is a direct you they can see actually oh my god i'm so glad that you said that i literally saw a post right before i came where it shows that mitochondria in the body can hold stressors for up to 50 50 generations i believe it is so that is generational trauma it's real it's trackable generational trauma is a real thing and even like they say alcoholism like yes yes you have to be the one to pick it up and and drink it but if you're parents did that and grandparents did that and great-grandparents did that, mm -hmm. you're more susceptible to doing that as a numbing effect. Absolutely. And this can break the chain. And it so, is. And you're seeing it, especially with addiction, especially with drinking. Mm -hmm. Ibogaine is absolutely fantastic for addiction. Yeah. Ayahuasca does wonders for heart openers. Psilocybin is amazing for antidepressant properties and slapping snow down on those neurons and giving them the opportunity to create new pathways. Mm -hmm. Cannabis is fantastic for sleep. It is, there are way, and muscle for CBD and inflammation, which is fantastic for t traumatic brain injury. So the amount that it, it that you need is so minimal. 
and it can make such a powerful effect. That's what scares the hell out of pharmaceutical companies. Oh, yeah. That's what scares the hell out of the government. Well, that's where the rub is. Big pharma is big, yeah, going money. to be yeah, our biggest. It's going to be the biggest it's fight. It's going to be our biggest it's fight. The best part about being in the military is we can sidestep that. Oh, yeah. Now, when it comes to civilians wanting this and having to do it, mm-hmm. that's where you're going There's to see gonna a fight. There's going to be a big fight. It'll and be a fight. that's unfortunate because this could change the trajectory of how our generations. world works yeah. and for generations. But it can really change. Everybody says, you know, they talk about mental health, but they don't offer solutions other than pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. And, and they are an and I said this at a Senate subcommittee meeting like two or three weeks ago. They are an acknowledged failure mm-hmm. from Veterans Affairs. They have acknowledged it and admitted it. That CBT, talk therapy, traditional therapy in conjunction with pharmaceutical medication is an acknowledged failure. Mm-hmm. So if we know if it's a failure, why do we keep doing the same things and expecting a different result? Right. You have to change the record. Do something different. And it's okay to not be sure mm-hmm. if it's going to go well. We'll give it a go because we're that desperate to heal. And like I said to them, stop handcuffing us because we will find somebody to undo those handcuffs and we will go do it anyway. Mm-hmm. I had to go to South America because Canada could not provide help. Mm-hmm. If you can't do it, you don't get to stop me from going and healing myself. That's just end of conversation. Right. And what's so crazy is all of the funding so far, even with John Hopkins and yeah. um, Stanford and right now UT uh, Dell Medical Center is doing all of these studies and it's all privately funded. Yeah. How it's sad is that? all privately funded, which is insane. If you look I, at I, any... I do understand that part of it, but in order for something to be publicly funded, we probably need to run it through the traps because if you just open it up like that, yeah. and, and it's a, it, it, it screws up, and we're all going to be like, hey, funded. why didn't you yeah. take your freaking time? Yeah. I get that. Yeah. But we've we're seen our it. own worst enemies. I mean, it, I, I, I... Why is it different than a... An antidepressant that's a pharmaceutical because, because here's the they thing. are they're, publicly funded. And they're not just publicly funded. They hide results. We know that now. They only publish stats that they want people to see. And even before the trial starts, if there's adverse reactions, they remove those people from the study. Yeah. So we know that it's manipulated. We understand that the data is manipulated. When you look at psychedelics, it's so blatantly obvious at such a high percentage that these are effective and long-term like You're never going to see me again. Yeah. Like, I'm going to go in and I'm going to go about my way. That's what you're trying, That's to, it. you're trying to do with all these other stuff. Yeah, so you want to see you all the time. So you'd rather have me on 60 different types of pills or I can just take this one and I won't ever have to come back for anything else. You're worth so much money. People are worth so much money and they don't see that. I was like, I don't that. get that. Yeah. Well, that's just cruelty. That's just evil. That's I like, I feel just... like you're picking on me. You know that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah 100%. But yeah. you should be able to heal. And you should be able to have access. And if that means we don't have to legalize it recreationally, but we need to look at getting access. And it shouldn't be that's legalized that, yeah. recreationally. Yeah. No, because yeah. that is actually, yeah. that's our danger zone. Of course that's, it is. So there does need, and that's a big thing, because we were just in Washington, D.C. talking about this. And there, right now, there's a huge group of people that are trying to legalize it Decriminalization, And you mean? legalize recreationally. Mm. And they are hopping on this bandwagon of veterans using it for help where that's get off our back. What? We're not trying to legalize. We're trying to decriminalize right. in order for us to have 
these legit studies done, mm-hmm. be able to provide research to show the evidence right. of the healing. But a lot of a lot of research is being halted right now because it's a schedule one. Right. So we need that rescheduled Mm -hmm. in order to be able to have legitimate research done to be able to show, okay, this does need to be offered in a controlled, controlled, safe safe setting. And with that, you can heal people. Exactly. But that's a... You're, you're, you're talking about a conversation, right, where, I mean, if you want to look at what legalize, like a decriminalization of a Schedule One can do, you know what they're going to point to? Go look at the east side of Vancouver. Yeah. We have the highest overdose rate in the world. Yeah. And you know why, though? Because they let everybody at all the psych wards and they dumped everybody onto the streets. Mm-hmm. So they're using these opportunities to say that this is going to be like that. Mm-hmm. But it is so not. I mean, why? So they kill themselves? Well, yeah, I mean, they're Eventually no, you die off, no, because right? what happens now is they allow. Oh, so we have safe injection sites, so it's open air drug consumption. Yeah, and but you don't still, get, you, the chances of you killing yourself doing that are pretty high, right? Pretty damn high. So and, that, but the overdose that's rate the whole is concept, like, is just yeah, put them out there, give them I all mean, the drugs. I mean, think and about it; they're yeah. less for the government to worry about. Yeah. They're people with mental health, but then you know what you're starting to get? You're starting to get stabbings left, right, and center because they're bleeding into the rest of Vancouver. A father was at a Starbucks with his wife and young daughter, and a guy was vaping at his kid. He asked him to stop. Did the first mistake. He turned around and took him out of his eyesight. Guy came up, took a knife, and shoved it into his jugular. And everyone in Vancouver watched it happen with their phones, and no one tried to stop the bleeding. And the guy sat down and waited for the cops and kept vaping in front of the mother and child while her husband bled out. Because we don't care about the mental health Mm. epidemic. We don't care what happens to people. If it's out of sight and out of mind, it's not our problem. Mm But when you try to heal others and you put it in their eye, they're, they're struggling so hard with psychedelics because we brainwashed a population since the Nixon era to go, these things are going to make you crazy. These things are going to break your brain. Well, I'm sorry. I know a ton of people, some of the smartest people in the world who use psychedelics on a fairly frequent basis. And they are the most grounded, level-headed, well-perceived individuals, hardworking, society-contributing human beings. And they're healed. And they're not bleeding all over everyone else yeah. because they've actually healed themselves. Right. Yeah, out in the streets, pumping up and all that's only done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not doing that. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. So when you let humans take control of it, you know, it's not that they're going to abuse it, but they'll definitely try and have a good time they're gonna, with they're it. Gonna, they're going to push the line. <laughs> yeah, they're going to try and have a good line. time with it. Exactly. And that's, you know, and say it you, either way you want, but that's what happens. Then you give it to veterans and they're like, how much are you sitting with this time? And then the guy yeah. beside him goes, I'm yeah. doing a little more. And he goes, fuck yeah. it, I'm doing I'm a little more. And you're like, oh, here we Don't go. Don't be alone. They're going to go, we're going to find it. those yeah. guardrails. Come on, man. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your story yeah, today. Yeah, yeah, man. Thanks for yeah. having me. And how can people follow you, get your podcast, all of that? Can you? Yeah, so fun? everything is, as you can see, is co-branded under Brass and Unity. The book you guys can buy, um, it's it's through Post Hill under Simon & Schuster. So you can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it anywhere. You can buy books. It's on pre-sale right now. So... It's on pre-sale until the date of release, which is July 11th. So I've got between now and July 18th to sell 6,000 books to be the first female GWAT on the New York Times bestseller list. And I... I is that... Yeah. Really? Is that what we need to do? Yeah, yeah because uh, Jessica Lynch got a national bestseller. We haven't seen one that's a New York Times. So I, I'm trying to, I'm gonna try to crack some shit and break some shit. Get it done, then. That's my goal, and so I've been, I've been making that known, and because I made the mistake of saying out loud, and then I heard that voice in me, that that imposter syndrome voice, that said, 
why did you say that? You're never going to do that. And I went, watch me, bitch. Yeah. So everything is Brass and Unity. The website's brassandunity.com. We ship everywhere in the world. If Americans purchase product from Canada, um, from from us, because I'm Canadian, if it comes from America, the donate... Some of us are big fans of Canadians. I, I happen to be. I know, but some aren't because of our current climate. And so... If you buy from America, the donation stays in America. If you buy from Canada, the donation stays in Canada. Same with Europe and Australia. So we keep it fair for the veteran population. And then all of our products... Oh, so it's a competition. No, it's not a competition. Well, I'd like to see... We should make it a competition. That way we can sell more books. You know what? It's a competition. (laughs) I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I will tell you what. If my book, all the sales come from America... I will write a bigger check to the American organizations from that because we're writing from the book. We're donating from the book. Uh, hey, uh, that's now great, but it's, it's, it's all about bragging rights. Okay, I want Who supports you the most, okay. America or Canadians? To be honest. Well, no, I'm, we're about to find out. Okay. I know who does jewelry-wise. We're about to find out. That's what this who is. Who does jewelry-wise? Sue Simon yeah. and Schuster House? Uh, it's post till and it's distributing through Simon and Schuster. Yeah, they, I'm not big enough to hit the real Simon and Schuster yet. So that's the next book well, we're working how you, on. How you grew, that was probably one of the most exciting times in my life is when I got to do that. Yeah. I got to dress up in uniform, yeah. go into New York to all the publishing houses. You know, it smells like a library when you walk in there. And yeah. it's kind of like, I was not welcomed that way. Um, mine was shopped by my literary agent at uh, Inkwell, uh, and they shopped it. And two people, two people looked at it. And the one had already done some war books and the other hadn't. And there aren't a lot of female stories out there. And I really wanted somebody that was going to say, hey, like, we believe in what this is and what you're trying to achieve with this because we don't see the mother side, the female side, the, the stuff that happens after. I'm not saying like, I'm not pulling the women empowerment card, but I'm just saying I just happen to be a woman and this just happens to be my story. And we all have stories. And I think every veteran she got the opportunity to tell her story, but these people believed in it and took it. And so I'm happy with it now. And I'm working on a second book. It's on something completely different, but you know, this is, this is cracked open a, a journey for me. So my goal is I want that list. I think I deserve it. I think the book's good enough. I think it's, it's got good enough stories and enough people have come to support me with this book. So now it's, now it's about, let's see what the veteran community will do because I do traditional TV, right? And they buy it because they're like, oh my God, it's a woman, woman empowerment. <laughs> and then you've got the veterans who are like, I don't know. Was it any good? You think she did anything good? <laughs> you think it's good? And then and they listen to other veterans. So I'm no, curious. No, like, what you say about me? Exactly. Talking that's shit. what it is. Oh, you know talking what? Talking shit? I bet they're talking. Oh, that's I exactly talk some, what that is. I talk is. some shit. I talk some shit. I changed the names. That's I talk the best some shit. part about having your military back in you. I was like, she talks some shit. She did. I read it. That's so funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So that everything's there, but that's the goals and everything's Brass and Unity. And our, we have our show on all platforms and, and Patreon. We've started now. It's the Brass and Unity podcast. And we talk to um, people like Travis Pastrana. We talk to Navy SEALs. You haven't been on yet. I'd love to have you on. Uh, we talked to um, we talked to a lot of doctors, TBI stuff. I want people to, well, and they do. I somehow am able to get them to tell stories that they haven't told anywhere else because I make them feel, I make that little thing in them crack and then it just comes out. So I'm honored to get to hear those stories and share those stories. And the goal is to do that full time where that can just be my career. And I love it. I love every minute of it. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thanks for you Thanks for your service. Thank you so much, Kelsey, for coming down. And if you enjoyed this show, please give it a thumbs up wherever you get your podcasts. I promise you'll want to keep up with everything she's got going on. She's very inspiring, and you'll love, love, love her book. Thank you guys for listening in, and we'll see you next week. Bye.